It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sailing the East podcast. I'm Bela Musitz, and I am hosting this episode solo today as my co-host Mike cannot make it. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we will focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we will talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them to be a guest on the show. So thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Today, we have Simon and Sawyer Ballant as guests on the podcast. They are repeat guests and were on this podcast in episode 29. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Simon and Sawyer's experience when they were anchored out during Tropical Storm Elsa when it hit the New England coast on July 9th, 2021. We discuss the decision-making process for evaluating their options, such as anchoring versus amooring versus tying up at a marina. We also talk about what happened during the storm, what went well, and what they would do different, and why they called Harbor Patrol and Towboats U.S. And they also had to reset their anchor during the height of the storm. We also covered the lessons they learned and how it was a positive experience for both of them. So let's jump into the discussion with Simon and Sawyer. Hey, hey Simon and Sawyer, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Um, I'm great, but I didn't spend the night out in the tropical storm like you guys did. <laughs> oh, you would be even better if you did. Uh, may, yeah, maybe. Life-changing event. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, good, yeah. good. Well, I they're thought... All, they're all life-changing events, just sometimes a small change. <laughs> right, right. They're all life-changing events. Sometimes the only change is that you just can't get that hour back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listen, I, I thought this was a great idea to get together and, and make a podcast out of your experience of anchoring out in Tropical Storm Elsa, uh, hmm. which uh, hit up on the East Coast uh, last a few days ago. And uh, so I thought it'd be great to sort of talk about that a little bit. So if I remember correctly, you guys were out sailing for the week and you were in Provincetown. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And you guys were just hanging out there, sort of anchored out and enjoying life. Yeah, we had a we had a week like a week trip planned where we we left from Narragansett Bay and then you know up Buzzers Bay through the canal, picked up uh, Elise, my wife, and then my daughter Hanika in Plymouth, because I think we mentioned last time in, you know uh, some other members of our family do enjoy sailing, but not you know not the long hauls like that, that Sawyer and I do. Yes. So, this was a nice way to pick them up uh, kind of near Boston, which is where my daughter lives. And then it's like a three hour sail over to Provincetown. And we had planned to stay there uh, on a mooring for three nights. Um, but, you know, all the while we were watching the, 
the weather forecast and you know looking at NOAA uh, National Weather Service and predict wind and local weather and you know the storm uh, kind of kept getting closer and the probability that it was going to be tropical storm force winds kept getting higher. So uh, it was actually on the second day that we decided to change our plans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the once it hit Florida, we, we probably had a good, a good three or f- three and a half days notice that it looked like pretty sure it was going to come up New England because yep. uh, it didn't veer much after that. Right. It was pretty much sort of as planned or as predicted by the various different prediction agencies. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think, sorry, remember, we were, we were sitting on the beach, I think, and we were thinking about how, you know, it wasn't that long ago, like 60 years ago, if you were sitting on the beach on the day before the storm arrived, you wouldn't really know the storm was going to arrive the next day. <laughs> That's like, right. I think if, you know, unless someone has sent a telegram from uh, you know, North Carolina saying, watch out, you, you, you had to look at the clouds or just sort of look at the, the waves or, or just be surprised. Yeah. So yeah, we, we did that. We had a lot of warning. Um, you know, relatively speaking, three, four days warning. And um, but what did change is it went from you know like less than ten percent chance of uh, tropical storm force winds, which are I think what's that sort of above 30, 34, 34 knots. Yeah, thirty-four knots sustained. So went from like a ten percent chance to a twenty percent chance to a fifty percent chance. And you know at that point we, you know we we. Uh, well, we had already sort of made our plans, changed our plans, but we definitely knew that we had to find a, a safe anchorage. Yeah. So, so you're in Provincetown, Anchorage, with the whole family, yeah. and then you say, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna cut this short." Did you sail the family back to Boston to drop them off, or take take me through sort of sort of that that progression? Well, you know, I think there are kind of two two factors. The first one was, you know, what made the most sense logistically for our situation. You know, when we were in Provincetown, you know, we have four people on the boat. Simon and I um, are going to sail a boat back to Rhode Island. And then my mom and sister have their vehicle in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts. So at some point, we need to get to the vicinity of Plymouth. But at the same time, we have this, this weather constraint, which is that the tropical storm is going to come up the East Coast, and the farther east you are, the more severe it is. So we want to get as far west as we can. And uh, Provincetown, Massachusetts, on the tippity-top of Cape Cod, is about as exposed as you can be on the eastern seaboard. So, you know, kind of weighing those two factors, we identified the Cape Cod Canal at the very southern end of it as a pretty good launching point one, because it was fairly close driving distance to Plymouth. Um, my, our mom and sister could drive there. And it was like a 25-minute Uber. Um, but for us, it was a very significant change in terms of uh, how much protection we had from the wind. Remember, sorry, we stopped in Plymouth uh, earlier in our trip. And Plymouth Harbor is certainly worth a visit. It's, it's pretty cool, uh, especially when you think about how the pilgrims went there, you know, in 1620. Um, but it's a very, very exposed bay. Uh, it's it's really mostly like two, three feet deep uh, with a few channels and you sort of kind of anchor kind of in a channel uh, and the sort of only designated space that you can anchor is at the far northern part of the bay, which means you've got all the fetch that there is in the bay. Um, and if you were to drag, you're basically going to drag out of the channel into like three feet of water. So um, that was in our minds too, that, you know, we could drive, we could, we could 
sail back to Plymouth, drop off the rest of our family, but then we're kind of stuck in Plymouth. Yeah. Like the pilgrim. We didn't want to be that. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of factors that goes into this sort of decision and, and, you know, you have some constraints, but at the same time, you're trying to figure out both a geographic location, east, west, north, south, and then the harbor itself where you're going to go into uh, and its yep. parameters. Right. And and it's a it's a multivariable equation, as us sure. engineers would say. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then even like in Provincetown, taking a step back, I mean, that's a decent harbor if the wind's coming from the prevailing west. But from the south, it's it's, it's open and there are moorings there. But then you're trusting the mooring, which you know, maybe it's OK to trust, but you don't know. And uh, the only anchorage that's there is about 50 feet of water. So, you know, if you're going to do your storm force seven to one scope, that's, you know, we need to go buy more chain. I think, so. <laughs> right, right. Right. Okay. So you guys took off. Uh, what, what day did you take off from Provincetown? You remember time and day? Was yeah. Thursday, was, uh, Thursday morning. Yeah, it was, yeah. We, we got up around, got up and out around nine o'clock on Thursday. Thursday morning. And a storm at that time was, was predicted to hit early Friday morning, like at one or two in the morning, I think, when, where we uh, were. The earliest, um, you know, because we were looking at where it was going to hit in sort of near the canal. So it, it the, the models were a little different, but on the most severe side, it looked like maybe morning-ish, you know, eight o'clock in the morning oh, on okay. Friday. Yeah, because yeah, I was further, I guess I was further west than you. And I remember, yeah. I remember because, so we were at the marina. We, we had been hanging around the bay, but coming back to the marina every night. And uh, on Thursday, you know, we decided, okay, we're going to stay on the boat. We're, we're, we're not yeah. going to leave and go home and sort of worry about the boat. We're going to stay on the boat. And uh, the guy two boats down from me, who's been there on, on Narragansett Bay for a long time, came out to his boat and he started taking, taking down his bimini and <laughs> putting out double dock lines and stuff. So I said, okay, he knows what he's doing. So I yeah. start doing the same thing. And, and I think Thursday, when I heard the weather forecast Thursday morning, I think they were predicting to hit where we were like one or two in the morning on Friday morning, AM. Yeah. And, but then as the day progressed, it kept getting later and later and later and later. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah uh, no, it, it, we, it was of course a little uncertainty exactly when, but we knew that we had to get where we wanted to go by end of day Thursday for yes. sure. Yes. That's why we left early in Thursday morning. Sure. And, and so uh, remind people, you, you guys were on, uh, on the podcast on episode 29. So if people want to hear more about your boat and the decision process, you went through to buy that and all that kind of stuff, but remind listeners, uh, for those who haven't listened to that, what boat you have, what anchor you have, and how much chain you have. Just sort of those technical parameters. Yeah, go for it, sir. Certainly. Yeah, so uh, it's a 40-foot uh, Passport 40, 1989. Uh, displacement is about 13 tons. We have a 25-kilogram Rockna, which is about 55 pounds. That's our primary anchor uh, with about 250 feet of chain. We also have a, a secondary anchor, which at the moment isn't rigged but it's approximately a 50 foot or 50 pound Delta anchor. Um, and we have a second set of chain for that as well. Um, our boat is actually equipped with two anchor rollers. So we could have both anchors rigged at the same time, but since we bought the boat, we haven't had to do that yet. Yeah. What size is oh, your wait, chain? Wait, do you know? I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you know what size your chain is? Uh, I five, believe it's five eighths. Five eighths. Five, five eighths. Yep. Five eighths. I thought 516 is just the standard. All right, whatever. 
The five, five something. <laughs> uh, yeah, five, I think um, it's probably five sixteenths or three eighths. Yeah, it's five sixteenths. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, and we do have a brand new uh, Muir uh, windlass, uh, which I installed like three weeks ago. Yeah. Because the old um, failed on us. So uh, maybe we can talk about that later, but that was actually really, really uh, useful and really important that we had a, a nice, fast working windlass. Yeah. So you guys left Provincetown Thursday morning, 9, 10 o'clock. Uh, you sailed uh, to the canal. You dropped off the other two members of the of the crew. Mm-hmm. And and then you went through the canal and uh, tell me about the process for sort of picking where you were going to stop. What were the parameters that sort of went into that? Go for it, sir. Well, you know, I think a lot of it came down to actually just familiarity. Um, we had stayed at this anchorage before. And so we knew exactly what we were getting into. We knew the depth, we knew the holding. Um, and I think that made us feel a little bit more comfortable. Again, you know, the, the time frame was on the tighter side. So we didn't want to roll into an anchorage Thursday night and decide that we don't like it um, with the storm arriving Friday morning. Um, so I think that was probably the, the largest factor for us. But, you know, this is a, a well-established anchorage and a popular anchorage for a good reason. It's well-protected on all sides. Um, the depth is probably about 14 feet. Um, to give your, to your viewers a sense, it's called... Uh, onset bay and the anchorage is essentially a rectangle um, with an island on either side of the rectangle and then the two longer faces um, on the one side is a channel and on the other side is a mooring field so protection on all sides and a good depth and a lot of space so you can pretty comfortably fit probably about a dozen boats in the anchorage okay and it's also keep in mind it's, it's, it's sort of the first anchorage off the channel, uh, sorry, off the the uh, canal. Cape Cod Canal from the south. So um, there's not a lot of sea there anyway. You're you know the very top of Buzzards Bay, um, tucked in off the off the canal. So in terms of waves and, and fetch and seas, we thought that'd be pretty good. Uh, wind was going to be what it was you know going to be, but we did have a, a couple of leaves of so those, those islands. Yeah, that's what I mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because the further west you go. Uh, past the canal, the more sort of open ocean from the south that you're exposed to. Yeah, I remember, I think last time too, we talked about how we've learned a little bit that you've got to be focused on not just wind, but on the seas. And so, you know, we go through predict wind, all the models, and, you know, the wind is, you know, the best case is in the 30s, the worst case is 50. Uh, the seas, the worst case was like 17 feet uh, out near, you know, kind of end of Buzzards Bay. That's a that's a lot of that's a lot of water. That's a lot so of sea. We, we want to be away from that for sure. And there's no way it's going to get that in the uh, in this little, little bay. Right, right, very good. So, uh, what what time did you guys pull into the bay approximately to onset? Uh, it was like I'd three say, o'clock because uh, yeah. we dropped off uh, you know our family members right at three, and then uh, then we got back to the boat and started getting. I'm getting ourselves organized. Yeah. And I think that's another good point you're making is, is that you don't want to get there too late because you might get there and, and it's full. There's no place for you to anchor. So you got to yeah. have a plan B, right? And, and if you're pulling in at eight o'clock at night, ah, that's that you don't have a plan B. So, yeah. so that, that's sort of another good point. You, you allowed enough time that if for whatever reason you didn't like it or it was full or whatever, 
you could you could uh, move on to some other alternative place. Yeah, exactly. So talk to me a little bit about deciding to, you know, pull in, go into a marina and rent a slip for the night versus pick up a mooring versus anchoring out. What what was sort of your thought process on that? So, you know, I we went through a tropical storm or it was, it was myself last year um, in a marina. We were, were in there against a bay and we had rented a, a mooring for the summer and then we moved into a slip for the storm. And it was definitely the right call to move into the slip, but I will say it was a pretty stressful experience being on the boat, trying to manage lines and fenders. Um, you know, the wind speeds in that storm also were in the low forties and it's a lot to manage. Um, so I don't know if we felt particularly comfortable trying to find a slip in a new marina that we weren't familiar with at all um, and, and trying to get situated. I'll, you know, a lot of the risk, whether it's in a marina or a mooring or an anchorage is not your boat, but the boats around you and the infrastructure around you. You know, so how secure is the dock? How secure are the cleats? Um, you know, how secure is the boat across from you in the slip? You know? Yeah. I mean, that, that was going through my mind up in Provincetown. We were thinking, you know, do we stay, try to see if we could, we could get a mooring for an extra night or not. And then we came down to Onsa Bay, you know, do we call the town until we get a mooring? It, I kind of have more faith in our boat because we know it than in, you know, someone else's infrastructure. And maybe it's good, but we just don't know. And you hate to find out um, at the peak of the storm that, you know, they haven't inspected that mooring or that mooring is, you know, not really well secured. Keep in mind too, moorings especially, they're tightly packed. You know, they, they, they plan them so that they can get as many boats as they can into the field. So with a 40 foot boat, usually, you know, we have like half a boat length behind us in the next boat. Uh, so really there's no room for, for uh, error if, if the other uh, infrastructure starts to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah good, all good points. So I, I will say when we were at the marina, um, our marina and our slip is is the only uh, sort of bit we have a little bit of exposure from is a, a, a direct south wind. So if, okay. if, if we have the wind from directly south, uh, we're pretty exposed wind-wise, and we, we can probably get some waves because there's a break there but and a narrow entrance, but I'm sure it would get wavy. And mm -hmm. the wind, all the wind predictions said the wind was going to be from the southeast. Mm -hmm. uh, which we were super protected. Um, you know, it was, it, for us, quite honestly, it was calmer there than, <laughs> than in the typical Narragansett, you know, bre sea breeze that picks up at four o'clock in the afternoon. Every day, yeah. Yeah, every, yeah. yeah it, was, it was calmer. Now, you could hear the wind ripping through the trees, you know, on land and stuff, and, and you could hear it, but it was, it was really very calm because we had that, that, the wind was from that particular direction. Well, um, the thing is you never know, right? So there are all these, of course, models are just models and, you know, the, the forecast isn't down to your 500 square feet. Right. Right. So, right. You know, I remember reading afterwards at the storm, you know, I think the highest winds that we saw were about 45 knots, at least on our boat. Um, you know, we never know if we missed something, you know, pop through, but I think there was a report on a buoy just outside Atlantic City of like 78 knots. Uh, there was one in like Nantucket at the airstrip of 60 knots. So you can get a little tiny sure. gust and, right. and uh, 
actually, you know, we, well, we talk about it maybe a little later, we did drag a little bit at one point and it was right at the moment that um, we got like a 43 knot gust that kind of hit us on the side just as the boat was kind of, you know, swinging around. And so a bunch of windage there and maybe the anchor road wasn't quite straight and, and we, we, we slid a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. so you guys anchored, how much chain did you guys put out? You uh-huh. All of it? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Well, so yeah, this is a good point. So we, we, in, in terms of choosing our anchor spot, um, we picked a spot that I think would have been fully appropriate for a normal weekend day which is to say that we were surrounded in all three sides by other vessels, um, probably like on average four to six boat lengths away from us. And so given that the, the maximum radius of the circle, so to speak, um, you know, we put out 80 feet of chain in the 14 to 16 foot depth of water. You know, in hindsight, it would have been more prudent to, to pick a spot where we had more room, um, one, so that we could put out more scope, um, but two, and more importantly, so that we had more options. You know, as the storm progressed, the other boats around us ended up becoming a major source of anxiety. And if we had been positioned in a part of the anchorage that maybe was less protected, but where we had much more room to move, um, that would have greatly increased our options as the storm gained intensity. That's right. Yeah. So the, so the lesson here is, uh, it sacrifice, uh, maybe protection from wind and waves for, for closeness to other boats. Yep. Yeah. We definitely, we definitely had room to go, to go forward a little bit. Um, and if we had done that, I, I don't know that necessarily we needed more scope at that point. I mean, we're in 14 feet, we were at five to one. Um, in the end, I don't, I don't think we popped an anchor. It's just that, you know, the wind was really strong and we actually sort of dragged through the mud a bit and we reset. But, you know, when you, when you, when you drag back 40 feet and reset and you were only like 60 feet in front of the boat <laughs> to begin with, now, now you're making that guy pretty nervous. Right. And, and, uh, so yeah, we, we probably should have just, you know, gone ahead, given ourselves extra room, basically given ourselves like storm room. I think, um, we gave ourselves, I sort of mentioned what we thought was pretty normal anchoring room but that's not really for a storm yeah now were you were you uh, one of the last boats that pull into the anchorage or did did people come in after you guys uh no, no one came in like in front of us i don't maybe one or something you know way other side of the the field but no it was pretty much uh it was pretty static after we got there yeah yeah and and so uh you guys get there and you had a pretty quiet evening right and night because uh the storm really didn't hit until morning uh so that that's another thing that I dread is is being out in a storm like that in the dark when you can't see anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, so taken all together, uh, it, it the only hairy experience we had, and we'll talk quite a bit about it, is the you know other boats around us. Um, otherwise, I think you know we we fared pretty well, and and we were sort of on top of um, things. But that was in the daytime, in an anchorage which we had been in before. So. Uh, yeah, night would have been a really different story for sure. It's yeah. very difficult to um, to gauge uh, distance, uh, at, you know, in the dark. It's made me think. I don't know if, if you, you've used a bail or anyone you know has used it. I, we do kind of you know, trades. My 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 day job, and um, you know, they're like laser sighters that you can use to measure rooms and whatnot. I don't know if people use them on boats. Um, 
because, you know, often you look behind you and you're like, is that boat like 40 feet away or is it like 200 feet away? And I don't know, kind of little laser pointers would be, would be kind of cool. I don't yeah. know if they work at night. Yeah. Well, they, I, they should work at night because they're, it's, it's a own light frequency. I mean, golfers yeah, I mean, have them for finding. Get, do they work at night when it's like, you know, howling rain? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. The rain may, all right. The rain may be an issue. That's a good yeah. point. The rain may be an issue. Yeah, daytime. Yeah, it definitely don't want to be uh, dealing with that stuff at night. And that's maybe we kind of knew that we were dealing with a storm the next day. So, um, you know, we were going to kind of assess things. I think the first uh, the first indication that things were getting a little hairy was we were down below and we started hearing um, someone sort of like pulling up their chain or dropping their chain or some sort of commotion outside the boat. So that's when we ran up to check what was going on. Yeah, so take us through that. Take us through the morning there. The storm starts to, the winds start increasing. Uh, it's daylight. You guys wake up. Uh, take me through the next couple of hours. Sure. So, you know, when we woke up, it was still, I mean, very calm conditions, like maybe 12 knots overcast. Um, and then over the course of the morning, it, yeah, slowly built up. Maybe by 10 a.m., we were in the low 20s or so. And I think when we hit about 25 knots, uh, is when the boat upwind of us um, began having issues with their anchor. Um, so, you know, Simon actually saw it before I did, but I believe, yeah, so that the, the boat upwind of us dragged and we could see them through our side windows while we were hanging out down below. And we we're like, that's, you know, a strange time to be moving. And that was our, our first indication of, uh, well, what was to come. So they're, they're the boat that was like just just in front of us, and they were there when we, we pulled in um, on Thursday. They're like a forty what forty three foot ish um, yawl, so a, a double masted boat, uh, older boat, fair amount of windage, like a like a pretty high coach roof, and then of course two masts and two booms. Um, looked a little bit of an, like an older boat, um, and uh, we only saw one person on the boat at the time. We, we found out later there was a second person. Um, but yeah, they, they, that, that's the boat that, yeah, when we started getting to, into the mid, mid upper 20s, they, they dragged, uh, pulled up their anchor, uh, moved actually directly in front of us at that point, um, but you know, a little bit, a little bit further away and, uh, and then reset the anchor. Um, so yeah, when we saw that going on, we decided we better stay up on the cockpit and just sort of see what, what's going on. Um, Again, our, our feeling that the greatest risk to us was, you know, other boats. Uh, and so I, we, we saw them sort of like swinging around, uh, trying to drop a reset anchor. Um, and then I think Sawyer said, I think it's time to turn the engine on, uh, which I've been thinking of too. So we, yeah, we, we turned the engine on. The idea being that we need to be ready to sort of take, you know, evasive action maneuvers if, uh, if the guys started coming down on us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, did you... and, and I think this was. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I was going to say I, th I think this was an area where uh, Simon and I did something right, which is we, you know, we, we saw the situation and and made a plan for what we would do if, if things got worse, mm -hmm. before we had to actually do the action. So of course, turning on the engine is a good first step. Um, but then you know Simon and I discussed, okay, what's what's our actual plan if, yeah, this boat starts to drag down on us or it becomes tangled in our anchor. Um, one of the things to remember, of course, when it's 
when it's windy is once one person steps out of the cockpit, you really lose your ability to communicate with them verbally. So that's not the time to be figuring out, you know, what the other party is doing on a double handed boat. The, the plan we came up with, uh, which in hindsight, I think is still probably a good plan was to release our anchor chain and, you know, dump it into the water and then go without an anchor. And that would give us the, the most maneuverability. If, if, Our if you anchor, would hang with us. Correct. Yep. Um, Assuming our anchor right, is, by, by him tangling with you, basically makes your anchor non-functional. So if it's non-functional, what you're saying is you're going to jettison the anchor. Yep. And so, yeah, uh, you know, we had, uh, and I'd been up in the anchor locker when I was changing the windlass a couple of weeks ago. So I was pretty familiar with it. You know, it's 250 feet of, of, of anchor road, and then it's actually tied off. Um, on a on a cleat up in there just to prevent you from accidentally letting all of your chain go. Um, so the only step we would need to do is to you know untie that that line and then let it go. Um, thinking back about it, probably just like we turned the engine on, we should have just untied that line because we weren't going to get into a situation where we were letting out 250 feet of chain. I mean, we were 15 feet of water, um, but we maybe needed to just get rid of all the chain and take off. Um, one thing that was uh, really useful. It's a small investment we made last summer when we were up in Maine. Uh, we, we stopped at um, Hamilton Marine, which is like like the cool boating store, you know, real salty boating store in Maine, all the lobster menus. And we bought a little uh, like lobster crab pot buoy for $1.50. And we used that as our um, anchor buoy. Yes. We've got about uh, 35 feet of rope tied to the anchor. And it's got little loops on it and a clip. So we can shorten that rope or lengthen that rope depending on how much you know depth we have. So if we're in like 20 feet of water, we'll, we'll shorten it down to like 25 feet. So the, the buoy is pretty much over the anchor. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you shouldn't worry that much about your anchor, uh, you know, worry more about your boat. But even if we like let our you know anchor and, and chain go, we could go back later and, and find it and probably actually just pick it up ourselves. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And so, uh, the, so you had a plan. If these guys come down on us, foul our anchor, uh, we're going to jettison the anchor. And and did you have confidence that within with a with a breeze like that, you can motor around and, and keep your boat steady and and uh, in the bay, sort of? Yeah, speak? yeah. So th that that's one of the things that was a new experience for us. Um, you know, it wasn't the first time that we had been out in forty knots, but it certainly was the first time that we had to consider you know, low speed, high precision maneuvering in 40 knots. Um, the other plan that we had considered if, if the vessel was at risk of colliding with us, but maybe not entangling our anchor road, would have been to, again, release all of the chain, but keep it connected to the boat. And then that would essentially give us a 500 foot diameter circle that we could <laughs> operate within. Yes. And uh, well, you know, when you're trying to avoid a, a 45 foot boat, you know, 500 feet sounds like a lot of room. But later on in the storm, we did end up having to maneuver around our anchor. And looking back on it, I don't think it would have been very feasible for us to have any real degree of maneuverability in that wind at a low speed while still connected to the anchor. That This goes back to the issue of you know, how close we were to other boats when we anchored. You know, there were three other boats who would have fallen within that 500 foot diameter circle. So you can imagine the, 
really the danger of us motoring around in these big circles towing 250 feet of chain across other people's anchor roads. And it's actually very challenging to control the boat at low speed in high wind. So, you know, when you're straight into the wind, you can add power and you can stay, you know, with your bow into the wind, you can maintain a certain degree of control. But once the bow falls off, if, if you don't have any water going over the rudder, it's, it's, you end up kind of going sideways and you, you go around the, the circumference of the circle, so to speak, but it's very hard to stay in the center yeah. of it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's why docking when it's really windy is hard. Cause exactly. You're, Cause you're going <laughs> slow and <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, again, with our, with our anchor buoy, we did at least know where our anchor was. So, yeah. um, around this time, I think I mentioned before that we had a, a kind of a gust. We were, we were probably getting, our sustained wind was, you know, 36, 38, in the high thirties was sustained. And then we had a gust of, you know, into the low forties and the boat was a little bit turned to the side and it, it, it made us drag yeah. our anchor. We held again, but now we were coming back. So at that point, Sawyer said, you know, we better motor up and try to just kind of take some of the um, weight off the, the anchor so we don't drag any, any further. Um, and it was difficult for him to do, but at least we knew where the anchor was. So he was trying to basically keep the bow pointed towards that anchor. Yes. Um, keep, a, keep an e even distance too. We didn't want to like drive over our anchor and then pull it up the other way around. Right, um, right. So we, that's what we kind of did while we watched this other boat. Um, and again, going back to the boat. Uh, so after it dragged the second time, um, we weren't quite sure what he was doing. He, the, the person was in the cockpit. Um, he didn't pull up his anchor. Um, it was on a, on a rope, uh, but he was starting to motor around and he kind of, at first we thought he was leaving, like he was going like, to leave the bay. Uh, but then he kind of came back around and I guess what he was doing was just motoring around with his 50, 60 feet of, of line and the anchor dragging all over the place. Um, we learned later when we, we saw everyone on board that he, he had another person, his partner, um, and she was holding a very young child, like, you know, couple months old. So I think probably, you know, she was down below maybe the, the, the baby wasn't doing well. And so he was just at the helm and he really, you know, with that much wind, he didn't have a chance to even run up to the deck and, and deal with his uh, anchor. He also didn't have a windlass or not one that wasn't working. So to run up and, you know, pull in all the line and pull the anchor up out of the mud yeah. uh, wasn't possible. So right. he was just driving around with the anchor. Um, he clipped our anchor buoy with his boat and somehow his anchor didn't clip our anchor. Um, oh, wow. And yeah. So that's just sort of, I'd love to see like that underwater footage of the anchor passing by <laughs> our anchor. Uh, but we, you know, we were kind of, we were a little nervous for him. Obviously he seemed like he was having some trouble and we were nervous for ourselves. Um, so we actually, at that point, we called the uh, Harbor Patrol in the Bay. Uh, the night before or the afternoon before we had gone to the dock to check it out. And we saw that there was a Harbor Patrol there. Uh, so we called and just to say, Hey, there's a boat out here that's having trouble, uh, with their anchor. They've dragged twice. Um, seems like they're not able to set. I'm not sure if you could provide assistance. Uh, we had tried to anchor, uh, sorry, to radio, um, the, the boat first, but he didn't respond. Maybe he was just you know too busy. Yeah. So, um, we decided actually, yeah, just to let the local folks know. And they came out, uh, they were out in a couple minutes, which was, I think in the end, really, really useful. Um, so, uh, yeah, the Harbor Patrol came out, um, they sort of saw what was going on and then they must've radioed, uh, towboat us, which also had a boat in the bay. 
and Towboat US uh, came out. Um, they came to our boat first to see if we were in trouble and we uh, said, no, it's this boat in front of us. Um, and then they, you know, they approached that boat, tried to offer some help. Oh, wow. And, and what, what did they do for that other boat? Yeah, so the, the towboat US actually um, made a very, very big difference in the situation. They were able to uh, put the the catch on a stern tow, which you know kept the the sailboat stabilized in the wind, and then allowed the owner to leave the cockpit and then deal with his anchor. Um, that that was kind of the the real missing piece of the puzzle in this situation was was how is he going to get his anchor up because you can't reset it otherwise. So by putting him on a stern tow and, and stabilizing the boat for him, he was able to retrieve the anchor. Um, the, the two vessels together then relocated to a more protected part of the anchorage uh, to attempt to anchor. They tried to anchor twice, but uh, neither attempt was successful. So after retrieving the anchor, um, after those attempts, they then motored over to behind a second island where there were some town moorings available. Um, and that proved to be the, the best and end uh, solution to, to the problem. Oh, very nice. So could you describe what a stern tow is for, for those folks uh, who don't know what that is? Yeah, certainly. Um, it's the perhaps maybe the most stereotypical version of towing. Uh, so you, you take a line uh, from the towboat, so in this case, towboat US, um, and they trail it over the stern of their boat. And in this case, has a bridle. So it has two lines, and you put those over the bow cleats of the boat that's going to be towed. So that's attaching um, to the bow of, of your vessel, the one vessel that's being towed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, it proved to be a little bit challenging because, again, they had to tow the vessel via the bow while also pulling up the anchor. And there were a couple of times, you know, hearing over the radio where the anchor was getting caught in the tow line. Um, but overall, it proved to be a a safe and effective solution. And the guy's pulling his anchor up by hand, I think is what you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was not, yeah. Maybe his windlass failed, uh, just bad luck or maybe he didn't have a windlass, yeah. um, which everyone has. But uh, if, if you don't have a windlass, um, and you're potentially going to be uh, a solo sailor basically, because you know, your other dependents sure. can't help you. I don't know that he should have been anchoring, um, you know, in that tropical storm. Because uh, once things went bad, he really didn't have a, a plan B. Yeah. I mean, his, his only plan B was to drive around uh, to stay out of the way of other boats with a you know 50 feet of, of anchor um, dragging beneath him. And, and it was it was rope, too. So, you know, we were actually worried it was going to foul his prop. And then... Yeah. You know, really <laughs> big trouble. And he's just a floating missile. Yeah. <laughs> so gonna... yeah. So they... But it was good. Sometimes in the radio, at least for me, I'm sometimes a little nervous. Like, you know, do I call towboat you know do i call the coast guard do i call the harbor master um so you could kind of don't want to do it or at least that's my thought process but once we did i think it was really the right decision uh we called them they seemed happy to help um and once they came out they really did change the dynamic of the situation yeah the, 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 when the towboat first approached uh, the guy waved them off he didn't want help um and that's also maybe human nature right i, I got it all right i'm fine right I'm alone uh he actually radioed like i'm good just I'm 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 good. I'm go away. Um, and towboat actually didn't go away. They just sort of hung out like right in front of him. Yeah. Uh, and then against the guy got on the radio again. He's like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" And towboat said, "Hey, you know, we 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 
they were really friendly. Like, you know, we, we definitely can help you. It seems like the problem is you can't get up to the bow. Um, but if we do a stern tow, we'll basically, you know, stop your boat in its tracks, just like you're parked. And then you can come up and deal with your anchor. And then, you know, we can set, you know, have you help you set again. And yeah. you'll be all set. And uh, so they did, they did a good sort of almost like hostage negotiation with the guy. Yeah. Well, that that's, that's a good story because it, it also, the lesson there is, is, don't be ashamed or don't be bashful about calling. Yeah. Right. Because you're right. Everyone's sort of hesitant. No, no, no. You know, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a sign of weakness if you call for help. <laughs> right. But this is, yeah, a, I, mean, people, I, know, I don't want to be like, you know, judging this guy or, you know, getting him in trouble, whatever. But I, you know, we, we called and said, Hey, there's a person here that may need some help. Why don't you come yeah. out and take a look? You no, brought him on the radio. Right. He's not responding. So maybe you guys could come actually come over and, and talk to him. Yeah. But I meant that from, from my perspective, like if I feel uncomfortable oh, and I feel yeah. like I'm getting it over my head, right. Yeah. I shouldn't be fearful of calling for assistance. No. And in this because case, these, these guys are pros. This is what they do. They, they probably know more about how to handle this situation than I do. Chances no, absolutely. are. And, and both the Harbor master and the towboat, especially, I mean, they were very courteous, professional. I mean, I think he, the, the towboat guys realized the owner of this other boat is probably pretty stressed. Uh, now we know probably extra stressed because he had a young you know, sure. child on board. Um, and so, you know, we're not going to make him feel bad. We're going to sort of be a team member with him and help right, him out. Right. And that, that definitely worked. <clears throat> exactly. I think that that's a good, that's a good takeaway from this, right? Uh, it, it's good to call. If, if you need assistance, go ahead and call. Don't wait. Yep. For sure. Cause then sure. you're calling for assistance for them to pick you up out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> file, file the accident report. Yeah. Right. Right. So they took they took that other boat over to uh, a mooring, and so they got nice and secure. Were there any other boats that dragged, or any other uh, issues that popped up? Well, I guess we might fall into that category. Um, right as the vessel was navigating to the mooring, is when we hit our highest sustained winds, and then yeah, subsequently dragged about a boat length. Um, and you know, again, a lot of it goes back to where we had anchored. It's not uncommon for anchors to drag. And then if you have a, a modern anchor or one of the newer generation anchors, they reset and ours reset just fine. But we left ourselves with a pretty small margin of error. And so now even though we had a reset, we had to reposition, you know, and if we'd been in a different spot, it would have reset. We would have reset our anchor alarm and we would have been back at square one. So yeah, what had happened was we, we dragged a little bit and now we were uncomfortably close to the boat to lure of us. And, um, I was concerned that we were going to drag again. Um, cause if we did, then we, we would be at risk of, of colliding with that boat. So at that point I used the engine to both take some strain off the, the anchor, but I think more of my subconscious thought was to give me a little more control over the situation, you know, and, and be less reliant on the, the anchor as a single piece of gear. Um, but I will say in hindsight, it's, it seems intuitive. Like, okay, if I just motor forward in neutral or with a little bit of RPM, then that would just take some strain off the anchor. It's not that simple at all. Um, and I learned that the hard way. What ends up happening is, uh, you know, most vessels sail a little bit of anchor. They go 20 degrees port, 20 degrees starboard. And, you know, most 
boats of a similar configuration, in this case, we were surrounded by sailboats, they all perform in kind of a similar way. You know, they, they react to the gusts the same way and they all maintain the same spacing. But when you start adding engine power to the mix, it really changes the dynamic. So we started sailing uh, at a different rhythm, so to speak, than the boats around us and uh, started sailing much more severely. And so not only did it require, you know, some additional power from the engine, it was, you know, very aggressive helm to try and keep the boat under control and, and away from the boat to Lourdes, which was the original goal in the first place. You mentioned something there, Stan, that I think also maybe another point. Um, we always use an anchor alarm, uh, you know, whenever we anchor and, and uh, what most people do, there, there's several free apps. Uh, what was really useful about having the anchor alarm is it shows you where your well, you can set the position or approximate position where your anchor is, and then it plots your location for your boat every whatever minute or two minutes or some sort of increments. So we could see the arc where our boat was it, when we first uh, were set. And then suddenly, you know, we were back about 40 feet, which was clear to us that we had dragged. So first of all, we knew for sure we had dragged because we could just look at the anchor alarm. Uh, but then we also knew we weren't dragging anymore. Uh, but we kept our eyes on that alarm chart uh, to see, yeah, if we, if we were staying still um, and, or we were dragging any further. Uh, of course, you know, rain was like, you know, pouring down and we, we used an iPad for that. So at some point, you know, a massive raindrop hit the app and closed it. So we were like, whoa, where that? what happened? What happened? <laughs> you know, and we drive it off and we got it, we got it back and we could see where we were again. But anyway, that was really useful. So anchor alarms are not just for like waking up in the middle of the night when you drag, but just giving you a, you know, another point of reference. Yeah. Where were you? Where are you now? Um, that was really useful. Yeah. Yeah. So did you guys end up uh, moving or, or did you just uh, keep the pressure on and, and monitor the situation? Now we moved. Okay, so we you did, yeah. And and really, the constraining factor was we were waiting for that catch to clear the area because we were essentially going to take his spot, <laughs> move up to where where his boat was. Um, so so once Tobo had sort of towed him out of the anchorage, it was clear that he was going to be hanging to the moorings. That's when we made our move. Um, you know, we again another scenario that's that Simon and I briefed beforehand. Um, so we knew that he was going to be going up to the anchor. I was going to be on the helm, um, you know, try and keep it head to wind. And I communicated and we established that, you know, we were not really going to be able to maneuver. We were going to go straight up wind. We we're not going to go circling around the anchorage, looking for the best spot. Um, you know, once the bow was in the wind, that's where it was going to go. And we could either go forward or backwards. Um, you know, one thing that, uh, Bale, I think actually you taught us when Simon and I were beginning to sail was the use of hand signals for anchoring. Um, and, you know, I know different people have different methods of communication, but for Simon and I, the hand signals worked really well and they were invaluable in this situation because in 40 knots of wind, there's no verbal communication, right. no matter how loud you shout. And so in this case, you know, it was, it was hard to see the anchor buoy, you know, from the cockpit, it's impossible to know where you are in relation to the anchor when you get close. Um, and from Simon's perspective, it's hard to know what I'm doing at the helm. Um, you know, is, is the wind pushing the boat or am I turning the boat? Um, but but the use of, of simple and clear hand signals was instrumental in this case um, to getting the anchor up quickly, 
repositioning to a new location and dropping it while reversing. And just don't, just so you know, like our hand signals that you taught us, Bale, it's, you know, thumbs up is forward, thumbs down is, is backwards, a closed fist means stop. Uh, and then you can put up like a, you know, index finger pointing to the right or the left. Uh, and then if you're really nuanced, which we weren't at this point, cause you couldn't, you know, hear or see, uh, you can make a little gap with your, your thumb and your index finger to say a little bit forward or a little bit, you know, backward. Yep. But we, we actually, we use it all the time. We don't yell at each other. We don't, you know, use radios. Uh, the other method you see out in the water is, you know, two people fighting and bickering and yelling at each other. Cause you know, they're, um, but we don't, yeah, we, we just have those simple hand signals and they work great for us. And, uh, uh, you know, we also, you, you learn over time, you know, how to, um, uh, sort of lead the, uh, the, the action, right? So I'll, I'll put my fist out a couple seconds before I actually wanted to stop because I know it takes a second to right. like, put it, you know, into neutral and about to slow down. So yeah, that's when the wind's blowing at 10 knots, not 40. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we, we had the hand signals was really good. Knowing where our anchor was, was, was again, really useful. Yeah. Uh, as, as much as possible, we had to get, you know, the, the bow of the boat towards the anchor so we could pull it up straight and pull up fast. And then uh, having this brand new windlass was a dream. Um, we didn't realize what a windlass is supposed to do until we got the new one. <laughs> it's not supposed to make a lot of noise. Yeah. Uh, it's not supposed to grind. It's supposed to, you know, zip the line up and zip the line down. And uh yeah, we, we, we pulled that anchor in, uh, what do you think, sir? Less than a minute, 30 seconds maybe? Yeah, I think the whole maneuver was was done in less than two minutes from yeah. uh, from anchor set to anchor set. Wow. Okay, pull the anchor, move head, drop it, and then we just, you know, this time we you know we dropped 120 feet uh, in almost, what, nine to one? Yep. And, uh, and locked it. And uh, yeah, let our boat drag back. We didn't really need to motor back because the boat was <laughs> dragging back pretty fast. and. Nicely, and uh, it was good. So having having that having that that right gear was really important. Uh, having the experience, Sora and I, of how to communicate was was important. Um, uh, that was yeah, that was really useful to be able to redo that in a you know again in, in in sustained forty knots. Yeah, yeah. Now I know where we were, which was I don't know 40, 50 miles east of you guys or west of you guys. Uh, you know the wind was from the southwest. And, and then there was a period of time where the wind sort of died down. It almost looked like the sun was going to come out. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, the storm's over. I think this was like, I don't know, 1.30, 2 o'clock, something like that in the afternoon. And then all of a sudden, it started raining again, and the wind shifted from the north to, or to the north, right? It went from southeast to like northwest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, th- I think so the eye of the storm must have been pretty close to where we were. So did you guys experience something like that? Yeah, so very, very similar. That it, it calmed down. We thought, oh, we're, we're good. A little bit of blue sky, and then yeah, the the, the wind came from the north. But it, it, even that the second go around, it was maybe down to thirty. Uh, it wasn't quite as high as the first go yeah. around. So when and, that, go ahead. I'm sorry. Keep going. Oh, and we were we were you know at that point we 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 were pretty far away from other boats, so we, yeah. we could move around. Um, when, when we did move up uh, that first time. Um, you know, we want to get away from boats behind us, but we did keep in mind that likely the storm was, you know, it's a low, it's going to cycle around. So we didn't want to get too far away and therefore too close to the, the next shore. Yeah. We need to be able to swim. So, so when, when you went, when the, the uh, anchorage went through that 180 degree wind shift, did that cause any other havoc with, with other boats? No, it didn't actually. And I was, I was prepared for it because 
you know, it essentially was going to put us now on the leeward side of the anchorage. And so I was concerned that now we're going to have to deal with, <laughs> you know, dragging boats part two. Um, but no, everybody held, you know, the, the round two of the storm was, yeah, very uneventful actually. Very good. Very good. So, uh, We've been going at this uh, 50 minutes now almost, so I, I want to start wrapping it up. So what would be the sort of takeaways uh, that, that you got from this experience? I'll, I'll start with a couple, sorry, and then you, you can do a couple. So Go for it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, first of all, it, every time we go out, you learn something new, and we, we appreciate all the different things that we experience. So um, I, this wasn't a bad experience. It was, you know, a nice learning experience for us. I think the number one uh, takeaway was, you know, be prepared to change your plans. Uh, you know, they say the you know most dangerous thing is a schedule, right? So we had this family vacation. We had three nice days planned in Provincetown, and you know, we 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 uh, gave up that last day uh, because we thought things could be bad. So you know, I, I think changing plans is good. Uh, to be, you know, prepared to do, uh, and I'd I'd say for me um, the experience of I mentioned before talking to the harbor master, getting towboat U.S. involved. Uh, that's kind of outside my normal comfort zone, um, but I think it was a good thing to do, and I'll be more prepared to do that in the future, uh, maybe more quickly. Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. How about you, Sawyer? Yeah, you know, I think. One of the big takeaways for me was the usefulness of, you know, briefing our plans before we had to actually do them. Because um, we ended up doing that a few times. And, you know, for Simon and I, especially, we've been sailing together extensively for a few years now, and we work together. So there's a lot of unspoken communication uh, where we just sort of assume and understand what the other person is doing. But um, in these abnormal situations, um, it's it's really important, I think, to to put things into words just to make sure every, everybody's on the same page. Um, and, and we made a conscious effort to do that. And I think it, it made a difference. Certainly when we had to reposition and re-anchor, um, it was really useful to know that we both knew exactly what was going to happen in that two minutes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, I think there were some, some elements where if we were to go through another tropical storm, we might do things a little bit differently. Um, you know, one of them, of course, would be selecting our anchor site maybe differently uh, to not be so close to other vessels, you know, both for vessels dragging into us and in case we drag or we need to reposition, um, you know, it would have been much less stressful if we had a, a larger radius around us. Um, and, you know, again, talking about planning, you know, one element that we had partially planned, but maybe didn't plan as well as we could have is, okay, so if we, release our anchor because the other person, you know, gets tangled in it or we decide it's the best thing to do for maneuverability, you know, what's our plan after that? Um, you know, we had one, but it was not a very effective one. Our, our second anchor at the time was buried at the bottom of our cockpit locker. And so the, the process of dragging that up on deck and rigging up our second chain and feeding yeah. it through the windlass <clears throat> yeah. in 40 knots of wind would have been possible and it would have been a real pain um but our boat is fully equipped with two anchors so the night before we could have set everything up and had a full second redundant anchor um ready to go and in the, when you're anchoring in a tropical storm that's really your primary line of defense yeah yeah 
Now, in this situation, since you were in an anchorage that had moorings, I guess plan B could have been if you dropped your anchor was to go over and pick up a mooring as, as opposed to your second secondary anchor. Could could have been, but there was a, and we learned this later, uh, you know, a bit of chatter between the harbor master and this boat uh, because there's not a lot of depth over there in the in the field, mm. and the harbor master was concerned that the you know the winds were blowing some of the the water away from where the field was. So the other boat actually had five and a half feet of draft, was what we had, and there was a bit of back and forth about okay, can he get in? I'm not sure. Let's let's have him try. Uh, so yeah, that would that, that would have been maybe a, a plan C. Sawyer's right for sure. We have the uh, we have the gear. You know, Thursday night we sat around, had pizza, and looked at our iPhones. We should have spent half an hour, pulled that anchor out, uh, got ready uh, to have two anchors. Yeah. And I think we certainly will in the future. Yeah. Um, as that's like one of the checklist items for any time we're going to be anchoring in some heavy weather. Yeah, that's a good good point. Good point. Now let, let me ask you one other question. As as you were talking about the the fellow that dragged and and it looked like his partner and a, maybe a young child were there, uh, so he was fundamentally a solo sailor. Uh, so I'm always interested in sort of solo sailors, and and sort of how they cope with these types of things. Um, so given your experience and what you uh, observed there, would would you say that if if you came if one of you came in solo? Uh, or one of you was incapacitated, right? And and only one of you could sort of, you know, do what you needed to do. Would would you lean more towards getting a mooring or finding a, a dock space as opposed to anchoring? I I probably hadn't thought it through. I'll say speak for myself, but having witnessed that, um, yeah, I uh, I'm I'm less confident in my ability as just as a solo sailor in those circumstances. I've, I've sailed by myself a little bit uh, coming coming up actually when Sawyer couldn't come with me. It's fine when everything's working great, um, but it, it it goes south quickly as it was with this guy. Um, so yeah, and you know we it, it's not we we have good gear right. We have a, a nice windlass, but that could still get jammed up or the fuse could blow. Right. It doesn't take much, uh, and you know you. Normal solo sailing, you run down down below and you fix something because nothing's going on up, up top. But uh, that would that was not that would not have been possible in this situation. So yeah, I think my decision would have been you know grab a mooring. Yeah. How about you, Sawyer? So you were solo in when you did the uh, the marina last time. Uh, Elaine was there, so Elaine and I were there. But uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, you were talking about Sawyer. Uh, you were asking Sawyer. Yeah, you know, I would say so. Certainly. You know the difference between one person and, and two people is exponential in terms of you know what you can do with with manpower but i think the other element too is just have a second person to bounce ideas off of yeah i mean i i would like to think that both sam and i are fairly thoughtful but you know being able to discuss these issues and come up with a plan was really really useful for me and i think i'd i'd feel nervous trying to make all those decisions myself yeah um we we we, no. yeah, we we talk through the scenario of like okay when this guy comes down and drags our anchor what do we do, and you know sort of like well we'll try to maneuver around and we'll just let out all the anchor, and I was like really he's like yeah yeah we'll just just let it out and we'll just we'll drive around too. That's <laughs> like oh yeah, that makes sense. Well, you got so, two boats driving around in the anchorage playing uh, uh, bumper cars. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know sometimes and you don't like normally I, like a. a a terrible scenario is you let out all your anchor road and, and the anchor falls down into the bottom of the ocean, right? Oh, I lost it. So you're, you're, you're trained not to do that. 
but then you're like, oh wait, that would be like the best course of action in this situation. Yeah, yeah. So we we talked that through and they realized that. So that was that was good. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point, right? Huh? When you're when you're by yourself, not not only are you physically by yourself, but mentally you're by yourself. Uh, For sure, and emotionally, yeah. Uh, the other, maybe one more thing too that I'd say is this was not that much of a storm, right? As storms go. Yeah. So this was uh, this was like I said, sustained high 30s, maybe close to 40, maybe a gust of 45 where we were. So nothing really to write home about. Uh, but we we did drag at, at 45 and with some pretty good gear in in pretty good holding mud. So I certainly think we've learned that we really can't anchor uh, in much worse than that. Um, or we need a much bigger anchor or two anchors or something something different. So I didn't realize that. So now now I know if I see a storm coming that's 40, 35, 40, we, we, need, we need to be prepared that we're gonna get into some, you know, you know, dicey situations. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's such a learning experience too. Like, I don't know, how do people, <laughs> people survive 60 knots, 80 knots? It's, that's a whole nother, you know, whole nother kettle fish, but. Uh, 30, 35, 40s, we learned is, is, is about as much as we can do. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good data point to have, right? Yeah. You sort of, okay, this is close to our limit. So if, if something stronger is coming, then we need to, we need to and plan out a different alternative. And, and be, you know, be mindful too that, thir- you know, 35, 40 in a little harbor is different than 35, 40 way out. That's right. We, we've had that before. We've had a gust. You know, I also can add some stress, but you got lots of sea room. You just sort of turn down wind or you stay, you know, whatever. Right. It's different when you're in a confined space. And, so, and, and where you guys were, when I looked on the chart, it was really well protected. So you didn't have much fetch. So no, you, you, you might've had 40, 45, but you hadn't had no, no seas to deal with. Right. So imagine if you had, you know, seven or eight foot seas plus that wind and trying to deal with bringing up an anchor, et cetera. Right. I mean, or, that, or yeah. And, and, and the dark, in the dark. So this would be, yeah, this would be this lesson, last week lesson for people that listen. Thirty-five knots, that can be kind of a, that can be bad, in the in 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 a in a in the wrong set of circumstances. Right. With some seas at night, you know, it's all it takes is for thing you know thirty-five, forty for things to get kind of bad. So yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, excellent. Any other parting thoughts or things you want to share about uh, your trip and the experience? Well, it was great. <laughs> I really liked it. I really, I was, I, I really liked this one. We learned a lot for sure. We're better yeah, prepared. I, I did too. It's a, you know, I mean, it, it's a humbling experience and it's a, you know, it's, it's one more data point. It's a, a confidence builder in a sense. You yeah. Know, if, if, if we're faced with this situation again, I think we'll, we'll handle it better. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Hey, thanks for being on the podcast and thanks for sharing your experience. Uh, I think this will be a great episode. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, Bela. Boy, those were some great lessons from Simon and Sawyer. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Thank you for joining us for another episode. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and thought-provoking. If you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, please get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast at gmail.com. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you enjoy the podcast, hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting app. If you would like to support the podcast, at the bottom of the show notes, you will see a link that says support this podcast. Click on the link and you can make a pledge of as little as 99 cents a month 
to help defer the cost of producing this show. We sure do appreciate it. We will be spending most of the summer sailing on Paradox, our Hunter 45 Dexalon, in and around Narragansett Bay, Long Island Sound, and Buzzards Bay. Hope to see you out on the water. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon. Mm-hmm.